I wonder, please, if you have your Bible with you this evening, if you could turn to the second book of Samuel, chapter 23. The 23rd chapter of the second book of Samuel. We'll commence our reading at verse 8 and read through to the verse 17. Second Samuel chapter 23 and reading at the verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, a chief among the captains, the same was Adeno the Esnite, he lift up his spear against eight hundred, whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodom, the Achalite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand cleave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agim, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground, and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord brought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down, and came to David in the harvest time, unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in an hole, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. We'll end the reading just there at that verse 17, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval and blessing. Let's just very briefly unite our hearts together as we pray. Our gracious Father, we thank thee for today. We praise thee that it has been our very special privilege to join with thy children around thy sacred word. We know that thy word is true, that it is an indestructible word, that men may rise up in opposition to it, but they will come and they will go, but thy word abideth forever. 
And Father, we pray that thou give us grace to appreciate that we have before us not only an eternal word, but an eternal salvation. Father, speak to our hearts tonight. For those of us who are thine, may the message thrill our souls with thanksgivings to thee. And for those perhaps who are not saved, we pray that thy spirit would particularly challenge their hearts, bringing them savingly unto thyself. This we humbly pray for our Saviour's sake. Amen. The closing words of any man or any woman's life as they spend their last days upon earth will always give to you a remarkable insight into where life's priorities have been centred. On several occasions I have counted myself exceedingly privileged to accompany certain people along the corridors of memory as they have vividly recalled some of the most meaningful uh, moments of life. By listening to such words uh, that unveil the past, I viewed myself as a student being given their own private tutorial of living history uh, through the eyes of the most reliable witness that is available. Highlights were often intermingled uh, with personalised tragedies, uh, sorrows wedded to joys, uh, pain <coughs> interwoven with pleasure, uh, while friendships often uh, surpassed foes. As it was for David, uh, the son of Jesse, uh, the king of Israel, who in the second book of Samuel, chapter 23, it details the names of certain individuals whose actions he felt constrained to immortalise in the chronicles of Holy Scripture. But of one particular group of men, his mind turned back to a season of the year uh, that was the annual harvest, when this trilogy of Israel's bravest of the brave aligned themselves with him as he hid in the cave of Adullam. Uh, you will know that he was there as a result of a vicious campaign uh, waged against him uh, by Saul, uh, the incumbent uh, king of Israel. Uh, Saul was motivated uh, with hatred, with jealousy, uh, with envy, and with bitterness against the Lord's servant. And as a result, he was forced to make his abode in what is known geographically as the cave of Adullam. And in verse 13, we read, And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time, uh, that is, onto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. As such was the blinded antagonism between Saul and David, and that on Saul's part, he was not restrained by his seasonal responsibilities uh, that were associated uh, with the harvest time. And yet, like every other incident in the Bible, there are invaluable lessons uh, for us to learn from uh, this portion of Scripture. And the first that I want to underscore is the thought of a domineering enemy. In verse 14, we read these words, And David was then in an hold, 
and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. The conflict that the youthful David had with the mighty Goliath in the valley adjacent to his home city was classified as legendary among the nation's people. But sadly, as we read this verse, it is clear that the ancient foe had reasserted itself against the Lord's people and were now once again governing over the city of Bethlehem. It seems that David's exploits in the past are now being classified as just simply a part of history, as the enemy of God's people has regrouped and exploited the divisions that existed in Israel at this particular time. But I believe that this was much more than just a strategy of the Philistines to reoccupy the city of Bethlehem. I believe that the great provocateur against truth and righteousness knew the day which was prophesied when the Lord Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem to be the sinner's saviour and the sinner's substitute. Satan, in his pre-fallen days, had been fully aware of the eternal plan that was ordained for the redemption of God's people. He had heard God the Father say to God the Son, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And to which God the Son replied, Here am I, send me. And immediately uh, there was triggered off a rebellion in the courts of heaven, which resulted in Lucifer, or Satan, described as the morning star, uh, being cast down to the ground, whereupon earth he continued, and still continues, his war against any attempt uh, to vindicate the message of God's salvation. Uh, So this occupation by the Philistines of Bethlehem, I believe was central to Satan's plan to resist the prophesied declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the glorious Trinity. Now, I I make this point to you because it is relevant to our present-day situation. A few weeks ago, uh, the leader of the ISA terrorist movement in the Middle East uh, made a very powerful uh, and profound pronouncement. Now you know what ISA means. It is a, a group of terrorists from Iraq and Syria who are seeking to uh, enforce a very extreme form of Islamic teaching uh, upon the region. Uh, and many believe that Uh, Their objective will ultimately be to go to Medina or go to Mecca, which is central, of course, to uh, Islamic belief. But their leader said just a few weeks ago that our purpose is not to conquer Medina. Our purpose is not to conquer Mecca. Our purpose is to conquer Jerusalem. 
And to me that was striking. Because just as the Philistines in this portion of Scripture sought to occupy the very city where the Savior would come in his first coming, I believe the enemies of God's truth will strive to occupy the very place where we will see his second coming. The Bible is clear that when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will be standing on the Mount of Olives. So there is a message here that I believe is so important for all of us. And for those of us who are saved, we should ever be alert to him and the devil's designs and the devil's deceptive strategy. And to those who are not saved, we have to point out to you most lovingly that it's not in the devil's interest that you should be saved. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is his major objective to keep you back from becoming a child of God. And right throughout the Bible we find that. We learn that whenever Paul and Barnabas went to the island of Cyprus, and how that we read of Sir Gaius Paulus, who was interested in the gospel and hearing the message of salvation. But there was a man called Elimas the sorcerer, and he did everything possible to represent his master, the devil, in obstructing Sir Gaius Paulus from coming to Christ. We could say that of Saul as well. In his unconverted days, we find that Saul was undoubtedly targeted by the devil in a way that was domineering. And every part, every fiber of his being was under the domineering influence of the devil on this issue. It is very easy for us who minister God's word to say that people need to be saved. And while that is absolutely true, so often we fail to appreciate the struggle that goes on in the unsaved person's heart. Sometimes that struggle can be tormenting and troublesome. Other times it can be tranquil and peaceful. But he still domineers. And if this Sabbath night he is domineering your thinking, constructing barriers and obstacles to why you should not be saved, then I trust that before this night is through, that you will be born again of God the Holy Spirit. It's not in the devil's interest that you should be saved. I'd like you to keep that in mind. He's a domineering enemy. But then I want you to notice that there is a distressed emotion. No doubt the heat and the dust associated with this particular time of the year had a natural effect upon David. The uninvited sensitivity of thirst aggravated 
and activated a desire for water. And we read in this account that he longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. You, you can see what's happening here. David is thinking of a past period in his life. And no doubt recollecting that the water that was contained in the well at Bethlehem was noted for its purity and for its sweetness and above all for its coolness. And the more David thought about this, and the more it absorbed his mind to such a degree that he longed continually for this water from the well of Bethlehem. It's a striking point, isn't it? That the older we are, the more we recollect upon the past. And David could recall those days as a youthful lad going to the well and drawing from the well and enjoying the product of the water. But he couldn't do it now. Maybe some of you tonight, I I don't know if this is true, maybe some of you recollect a time when God really spoke to you. It was in your youthful day, maybe in your teenage days of life, and God took a dealing with you, and he spoke to you in a very specific and personalized way, and that to such a degree that you often think about it. You turn the clock back to that moment. And you would long to go back to that place. By making the point so that you will, I know, understand this, that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. And you might well long for that moment or for that day to return. And I can, along with others, but pray that tonight the Lord will renew that desire in your heart to be saved. Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. A distressed emotion. But please keep this thought before you. It's a distressed emotion that carries through for so many beyond the boundaries of the grave. To me it's a very sad, a very grieving thing that as we sit here in this schoolhouse in Killingure that there are people and they are crying out for water tonight. But it's too late. Every moment of every day, if we can compare time to eternity, we are crying out, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water. But it's not available. 
and it never will be. And that's why there is an urgency in bringing the gospel before the people. But some might reply and say, is this analogy of one craving for water, is it not an exaggeration? Is it even conceivable that hell is even a place and let alone a place where souls cry out for water. My authorization is the word of God. And because it can be easily proven that the scriptures are stamped with divine accuracy in every aspect of earthly life, I have absolutely no doubt that every eternal detail is sealed by the infinite hand of him who cannot die and who cannot lie. Why were you born? I will tell you why you were born. You were born to glorify God. That's the only reason why you were born. And for one to reject the gospel and to dishonor God, I must say to you that the cost is quite simply too high. The road is irreversible and the experience is undeniably real. An eternal thirst is a distressed emotion. However, in David's case we see a devotion expressed. Uh, for according to the verse 16, uh, as David cried out and longed for water from the well of Bethlehem, we read, and the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. These men deserve to be commended. But do observe, please, that as they responded with a devotion expressed, uh, that they had to break through uh, the garrison of the Philistines. Uh, for this garrison had clearly is set their position in a strategic way so that that which was life-giving would be guarded and protected by their military might. I'm making this point for a reason. When you come on a Sabbath day, you listen to your minister preach the word, with such fluency and such ability, you do not see something that is happening. That as he seeks to bring to you the water of life, he has to break through the garrisons of the evil one. 
And while we rejoice in the knowledge of God's presence, we're still exceedingly sensitive to the fact that as the gospel goes forth, that the powers of hell and of Satan, they come together, they galvanize their strength, and they do everything possible to resist the person preaching the message of salvation. But preach it we must. While we would not certainly for one moment put ourselves on the recognition table as these three mighty men were put, nevertheless we can see a similarity. And that if we are going to bring to you the water of life, then we're going to have to break through the garrisons of hell. And that's why that little prayer meeting in that cabin before the service is so vital. Sin is hated by God. The sinner is loved by God. And you this night can drink of the water whereby you shall never thirst again. Reverend McLaughlin referred the other Sunday night to a man called Bobby Bates. He was one of the Shankle Road butchers. And it was in one of our services in the Crumlin Road prison where Bobby came to know the Saviour. And during those days, whenever one had been sentenced, as he was for 16 years, minimum 16 years, along with the others, they had to go to the, the Mays prison. And the last Sunday he was with me in the Crumlin Road, he said, whenever I, I get parole, I, I, I'll be at the early morning prayer meeting in Sandown Road. Sixteen years passed. I forgot about it. One Sunday morning, I went to the church. I was opening the side gate. This man was standing up against the railings. I didn't recognize him. And as I opened the gate and then the door of the church, he, he followed me and I turned round and said rather nervously, should I know you? And he said, I'm Bobby Bates. I promised you that I would come to the prayer meeting on my first parole. He had walked from the Shankle Road through Short Strand and made his way to Sandown Road. I tell you this, only God could have done that. He had a desire given to him by God 
to drink of the water of life. They heard that word. The garrisons were broken through. And they drank of that life-giving message. Just one final thought, and we're through. And that is, we have here a discernible evaluation. And I struggle with this. Because whenever these three men brought the water to David, after breaking through the garrison of the Philistines, it says, nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. I can only conclude that what we have here through the teaching of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful foreshadowing of the pouring forth of the Saviour's precious blood for the cleansing of the sinner's sin. By offering himself the sacrifice for sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ paid all the requirements that were righteously demanded of a holy God. His wrath must be satisfied. His holiness must not be compromised. His judgment must be judicially executed. And if I can put it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ bore the consequences of an eternal hell for all who would be saved. It has been my very, very special privilege to have been with dear men and women as they have come to the the end of life's journey and over and over again I have quoted the words of Balaam in my own heart let me die the death of the righteous let my last end be like his wouldn't it be wonderful of all in this little group today and perhaps it is so that everyone is a sinner saved by God's sovereign grace I trust that the circle will not be broken oh for a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. The Saviour has gone and he has taken of that water and he gives it to you. I trust you'll receive it tonight. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Could I just take a moment to 
say thank you for listening. I, I certainly, I'm sure others would be the same. Don't take your listening for granted. It's invaluable to us. It's a great encouragement in a way that you will perhaps never understand. But thank you so much. And if I can be of any help to anyone here, I would count it a great honour and a great privilege to be of some assistance to you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your presence. Father, we thank thee that the Lord Jesus Christ is that well of life. We thank thee for those who have been given of that water. They have drunk and they are satisfied. But for those who are not saved, we pray that thy spirit would minister to them. Father, have mercy upon this land and this nation today. We pray that the light of the gospel that was so bright and so penetrating in days gone by will once again be shone upon the nation that we love. Bless us as we sing our closing hymn and even in the singing of it may we magnify thy name for our Saviour's sake. Amen.